When it comes to dealing with real estate and the blockchain, you want to go with a company that's familiar with the inner workings of the business. This week's guest has been in real estate for over 30 years. Michael Flight, CEO of Liberty Real Estate Fund, the world's first net lease security token. Michael and Joe discuss his history investing in triple net leases and why he broke into the blockchain space and how you can get started too. Let's just get right down to business. Joe Show. This, this is the Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. Hello, Michael. Welcome to the show. Let's get rolling by giving us a brief background about yourself. Hi, Joe. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Really looking forward to talking to you because of uh, just the unique background that you have. It's I'm, I'm very excited to you know discuss a lot of topics. But my background is I've been in uh, real estate. Um, I graduated from college in 1986, but I was uh, doing apartment rehabbing, um, you know, during my last years of college. Uh, I was a, and I still am a real estate broker since 1986 in Illinois. Uh, got into retail real estate and retail real estate is, is shopping centers and um, single tenant triple net leases and uh, anything that has to do with people shopping or, you know, service type of businesses. Uh, worked for a larger, actually started out as a uh, retail real estate broker, worked for a larger syndicator based out of uh, your hometown, Philadelphia. I think we are on, uh, I think I remember the address, 1212 Market Street. Um, so, uh, great times there, you know, and that was in the 1980s. Uh, the financial crisis called the savings and loan crisis happened. Uh, I was laid off and myself and a partner and eventually a, a few more partners started, uh, you know, Concordia Realty. Uh, and we've been in business since 1990. We've worked with uh, pension funds, uh, insurance companies, banks, hedge funds, private equity groups. Uh, we've had, you know, a 31 year relationship with family offices. Uh, so we've just uh, been privileged and honored to do a bunch of really fun and cool stuff. And uh, so we got to this point and you had asked uh, a little bit about it earlier about how you think the, the retail market is going to evolve. And we've been evolving with the retail market. So uh, it, it went kind of from malls were, you know, the superpowers of, uh, you know, retail real estate. And uh, we started back and, and we just were, happened to, to get involved with these through a, a financial partner of ours, a joint venture partner. But we actually ended up demalling uh, and repurposing three malls in the late 1990s, early 2000s. So we were ahead of the curve and I just saw uh, CBRE just started a special division that they're going to repurpose malls. And so I kind of tweeted out that we, we've been doing this for 20 years. And so what I could see um, it, with that is a lot of tenants uh, were looking to get out of the malls and go into strip centers for higher visibility and lower costs. And uh, that continued with a lot of tenants wanted more visibility, wanted more um, you know, billboard signage wanted more. And, and actually a lot of them, especially the pharmacies over the last 20 years have all moved out of shopping centers so that they could get drive through. And so with that, we could see that, you know, things were the, the, the tenants were coming out of malls, uh, and also coming out of strip centers and going into freestanding stores. Uh, then you get to, uh, 2020 with the COVID pandemic. And there's all kinds of tenants that were, even if they were in small two-store strips, three-store strips, now are all fighting to get into freestanding or something with a drive-through. 
So, and, and you can even see it with um, Starbucks. I mean, Starbucks, we did uh, Starbucks number five in 1991, the fifth uh, Starbucks in the city of Chicago. And that Starbucks was doing incredible volume. They were doing like $2,500 per square foot in volume. They were just literally um, bringing the coffee in the back uh, and people were like taking it out the front and they couldn't even keep up with the garbage. There was so much going on, but that was a walk-up store. And then Starbucks transitioned. And so now you more than likely, unless it's a dense, you know, urban core, you won't see a Starbucks without a drive-thru. And it's going to be the same thing. There's going to be even um, uh, dollar stores and those guys are experimenting with, you know, can they do some sort of drive through? Um, the thing I love about uh, both Texas and Arizona is liquor stores have drive throughs. So, you know, there's just going to be a lot of tenants that, uh, and, and it's very hard, it's valuable to get a drive through because in a lot of situations, it's hard to get uh, drive-through approvals. So with that, I apologize. It's been a long introduction. Uh, like to hear some of your thoughts and questions. No, that's good. I mean, so drive-through approvals, is that typically from a, um, the township or the roadway in and out? It really depends on who has the zoning approvals, but uh, the drive-through approval is usually granted through zoning. Um, in a lot of situations, it'll be the local city or if there isn't, you know, local city or village or, you know, um, the, you know, whatever, uh, it might be a county approval, uh, but the, it's a zoning type of thing. And, and a lot of times it's a conditional use, uh, but a lot of times it runs with the property. So even if you had a vacant Walgreens that, you know, has the, you know, uh, drive-through approval, you could potentially put something else in there that would use a drive-through, even if you tore down the building. So it really depends on the individual area, but in a lot of situations, those are really valuable. It, it just adds value to your real estate. And so what you're saying is based on uh, like, let's say over the next 10 years, you see that the biggest demand being in the single, single tenant standalone building with the ability to have a drive through, correct? Well, we see, and this is what we saw probably in the, the, there was a confluence of things. A lot of uh, sales were going online. And so we were looking at tenants that um, couldn't necessarily be replicated online. Uh, the other thing is, is that, uh, as I said, a lot of tenants were looking to get out more visible and more control over their real estate and not be kind of tied to. So the benefit of shopping centers is you get a retail you know, mass there. And so it brings a lot of people to one location. The bad part about it is if, you know, you lose an anchor tenant or something, then as a retailer, you're kind of stuck in, you know, a bad situation. You don't have control over yourself. So that's why a lot more tenants, uh, and this, the trend is going to accelerate to try and get to single tenant uh, net lease. There's, there's gonna be a lot of tenants that don't want that, uh, but there's gonna be a lot of tenants that um, want the visibility, want the easy access, uh, want, you know, all kinds of other things that you can get from being a standalone, but they also want to be at Maine and Maine where there's a retail nexus. Cause um, I always describe retailers as lemmings. Uh, you know, usually McDonald's is probably the, uh, the, the main uh, pioneer. If you, it used to be, if uh, McDonald's went up, then all of a sudden, you know, you get Burger King, you know, Kentucky fried chicken, everybody go up and then they might even, you know, throw in a, uh, you know, supermarket or something like that. But it, these tenants all want a retail nexus because they, they do feed off of, you know, people making that individual trip to that area. Now, when I guess, a, you know, a, a customer goes to the mall, they're kind of more or less browsing around, killing time or whatever it may be. But 
what came to mind is when I go to a single, you know, a strip center or a standalone location, you're actually already kind of committed to going there to buy something. Right. Is that, is that kind of the, the you know, part of the reasoning behind that also? Right. And, um, you know, we don't know how, uh, shopping patterns are going to change after the pandemic. Um, but a lot more people are more purposeful in their trips. Um, we do see people going back to the malls and browsing around, but we do see a, a large percentage of population uh, not going back and not wanting to have contact. And so I, I think that's going to change back to, you know, because human beings are social animals. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, but the other thing is, is that people just don't have the time to like in, in a lot of retailers. So for example, um, Bath and Body Works, which uh, used to be with the, the Limited and Victoria's Secret and all the rest of those, they've found that their stores are actually more productive um, out in a strip center versus in a mall uh, because people purposely go there and say, I, I need to get this stuff. I'm going to pick this stuff up and it's convenient. And so as long as in, in a lot of them, they like the co-tenancy of like a Marshall's or a TJ Maxx and a, a grocery store because people are going to them like on a weekly or every two weeks versus uh, trips to the mall might be monthly or even every six months to, you know, twice a year. Do you think we'll see more stores that have, I guess what I would call kind of just a display store where they have all their certain items you go in there and then you, you could kind of feel touch and everything. If you like it, you could scan it and it'll be delivered to your door in whatever color size you want. That is something that I don't really have an opinion on because I really haven't you know, thought it through too much. Um, I, I don't know because um, most people, when they do go to a store, um, want something right of way. So uh, that kind of works with like Apple because it's a much more complicated product. Um, you know, and Best Buy found that out because, you know, people were doing what's called showrooming. So they go in and actually see it and try it and then go online and buy it. So, you know, Best Buy kind of like, you know, co-opted that and said, well, um, if you like it, you know, here's a, the best sale and, you know, we could get it for you right now. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess what I'm ahead. thinking is, is the cost of retail kind of starting to be prohibitive to some brands to the extent that they might create more micro stores. And like you said, they're display stores where you could kind of go in order and it's Amazon eventually will have same day delivery to your house. Um, the, the cost of retail is mainly in the amount of people working there. The surprisingly, the, the real estate cost uh, is usually below 10% of, you know, the store and all the rest of it is inventory and, and um, personnel. So that's where they really, you know, have to make their money is uh, they have to have a good location, but they have to have a productive store. We have seen a lot of tenants that, at some point we're going way, way bigger in the nineties in the early two thousands. And now most tenants are scaling back how big they are, except for the guys like Walmart and target and um, you know, home Depot, they're going super wide because you're either going to go uh, very small and convenience uh, and get your store as productive as possible and get rid of like the, the fat, which is the extra space. Um, or you're just going to try and carry as much as possible to, you know, like, uh, a lot of tenants don't like Walmart or Target as a co-tenant because once they go in there, the people's, all their money is sucked out of their pockets and they got these big, you know, carts filled up with food and, you know, everything else. And then they don't cross shop. Interesting. So do you think Walmart and Target's, uh, these bigger box stores, are they going to become more of a, uh, I guess, a local distribution uh, warehouse type hybrid? That, that has been happening. And so even with Walmart, like two years ago, they had, 
you know, they're online where you could either order it online or you could order for pickup. Um, and they started changing their stores uh, probably back in, I want to say, um, 2018 and got it kind of uh, honed in on, in 2019. And now they're really, you know, they, they almost all of them have a dedicated area where there's a pickup. And so through your phone, you can track it on your phone and they can know where you're at through geofencing. And when you're about uh, three minutes out, there's somebody that technically, this is the way it's supposed to work. They're supposed to meet you out there by their, by your car. So, you know, Walmart, you know, has become the largest retailer in the world uh, because they were the best um, actually at information technology. So if you see how they expanded, it was all about distribution and information technology and, you know, giving people what they wanted in their individual uh, neighborhood. Hmm. Now, you mentioned, I believe, the rent being about 10% of uh, gross revenue for that store. Is that, is that what you said? Uh, Walmarts and Targets and grocery stores are, are less. So they, because they're on thinner margins. So uh, a Walmart and and, you know, a typical grocery store, like a typical grocery store um, or a Walmart, their rent shouldn't exceed like, you know, 3% of their sales. Is there any back of the napkin uh, kind of formula you guys look at from a high level when it comes to what, certain retailers? And Yeah, it really depends on uh, if they're a, a discount retailer, um, you know, you, you do what's called a health ratio. And so if they're a discount retailer, their rent to sales ratio is gonna be a lot less. And if they're a high margin retailer, like um, jewelry stores and uh, luxury goods and those type of things, their rent to, you know, could be up as high as like 20% of sales because they've just got, you know, such a huge margin. Uh, but these other guys, they don't have that type of profitability on the things they sell. So they have to keep their rent lower. So typically triple net properties are known for, I guess, having a lower cap rate or a lower cash on cash return than some other properties where they need, I guess, more attention. You know, what is your love for triple net and why do you, what are the things you like about it? Well, the, my favorite thing I like about it is the tenants pay the expenses. So, and uh, so you, you have, you know, expenses that, you know, even though they are controllable expenses uh, with a pure triple net single tenant. So, Shopping centers also are rented triple net, but you don't actually, it's not completely triple net because the landlord maintains the roof, the landlord maintains the, the walls in between the tenants and the landlord maintains you know, the foundation. But the, penit, the tenants in a shopping center will pay for the snow plowing, they'll pay for all the landscaping, they'll pay for um, you know, maintenance of the property. They'll also pay their percentage of the real estate taxes uh, and they will also pay for their percentage of the insurance for fire insurance and liability insurance in the common areas. Uh, the one thing about a shopping center is if it has a vacancy, then the landlord has to pay the percentage, typically the percentage uh, that is vacant. So if you've got a 50% vacant shopping center, the landlord is picking up 50% of the expenses. Now in a triple net lease, in a full single tenant triple net lease, the tenant pays for all the maintenance to the property. The tenant pays for any sweeping, cleaning, landscaping. The tenant also pays 100% of the real estate taxes and 100% of the insurance. So that's why we like to call it nothing but net. The, the tenant just pays you net income, net rent. And is there, do you guys do anything with land leases? Um, we have done land leases and we typically have done that in existing shopping centers. We do not buy land leases because we prefer to buy, you, you cannot depreciate anything on a land lease. 
Um, but if we have an existing shopping center that we've redeveloped, um, we prefer to do land leases because the tenant takes all the risk uh, in terms of constructing and building their building. So all you do, so for, so for example, um, we had one deal where we had, you know, vacant uh, all parcel that, you know, was not, it, it was just parking lot. And the easiest one is the, the deal that we did in um, uh, Berwyn, Illinois with, you know, at, at Walgreens. And so we ended up doing a 50 year lease with Walgreens had been there already. Uh, Walgreens was doing super huge sales volume. Uh, and so, you know, we came up with a number, we gave them about an acre of land and uh, came up with this number. And I, I, I was valuing the land at like a hundred dollars per square foot. And I knew I valued it too low because as soon as we gave them the number, they said, okay. <laughs> no counter. Is that what you're saying? If there's no yeah, counter, no. it's too low, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we should have doubled it and seen what we could do. But, you know, the, it, again, the land we were valuing at $100 per square foot, which was, you know, like 10 years ago. And that was a that was a stiff number. All right. And so I guess like historically, you know, what are some returns people usually expect when they own triple net properties? Well, the, the returns are, are based on a number of things. So if you get a insanely good, excellent credit tenant and you get a tenant that's in demand, um, you could get, uh, you know, uh, a four cap. You know, I, I've seen, you know, and it also depends on, you know, what area it is. So, for example, if we're talking about dollar generals, um, a dollar general in a urban market or a suburban market with a lot of, you know, people around it and a lot of population, and it might be paying a little bit more in rent, uh, is going to get a lower cap rate than a dollar general in, you know, let's say the middle of Kentucky or, you know, someplace in, in Mississippi that there's no population and there's no population growth. So that, you know, your dollar general could go anywhere from, if it's a good location and it's a strong dollar general, you know, five and a half cap to, you know, in the middle of nowhere, um, you know, you could be getting a, a seven to a seven and a half cap on the dollar general. There's other tenants right now that are in extremely high demand uh, for example, 7-Elevens and Wawa's because um, number one, their convenience. Number two, they were declared essential businesses during the pandemic. And number three, um, you know, a lot of people don't think gas stations are going to go away anytime soon. And they're always usually on great locations. So the location is irreplaceable. So I, I've seen Wawa's and 7-Elevens in uh, Florida and Texas, you know, down around, you know, four caps. Uh, I've also seen Chick-fil-A's at four caps. There's a um, coffee chain out of uh, Oregon. And yeah, I, I swear it, somebody told me that they put cocaine in their coffee drinks, but they have these frothy coffee drinks, you know, like the frat pays and stuff. But you've never seen, I mean, we were doing a, a, a build a suit firm. They're called Dutch Brothers. We were doing a build a suit firm and they needed 10 car stacking. But sometimes they'll get like 30 cars stacked to go get coffee you know, just waiting in line. And, and they actually have to have people outside taking the orders so that they can, you know, make sure that they shove people through the drive-thru. Reminds me um, of Chick-fil-A. Reminds me of Chick-fil-A. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. it, it's, like I said, I've seen, you know, Chick-fil-A's at four and a half caps and I've seen Dutch Brothers in California uh, and also in Phoenix, uh, 
you know, at four, four and a half caps. So it really depends on the tenant. It depends on the demand for the tenant. Uh, but what we also, a lot of times, and what you have to evaluate the most is, first of all, location. Is it a good location? And um, if the tenant leaves, is it going to be, you know, a uh, easy location to replace somebody in? And is it going to be a valuable location? But the next thing that you look at, because these leases are so long, is the credit of the tenant. And so these leases are guaranteed by the corporation that's signing it. So if you do a lease with a Shell gas station, or for an example, um, Jiffy Lube, Jiffy Lube is owned by Shell. And so if you get a corporate store from Jiffy Lube, you get Shell Oil Company on your lease. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, I think at some point, maybe Shell Oil Company might have almost as good a credit or better than the U.S. government. Especially with <laughs> the U.S. government is printing money. <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, so, it, it, you know, so these are just massive, you know, you know, trillion dollar companies that, uh, and then the other thing is, is that if the tenant goes into bankruptcy, um, they can like default on their bonds. They can, you know, their stock goes to zero, but if they're still operating in bankruptcy, the priority is that they have to pay the rent. So they might skip one month's rent, but then after that, if there's, as long as they're in bankruptcy, they have to pay the rent first before they pay everything. You know, that, that's why we really like triple net because uh, you've got basically great locations. And this also, I, I'm talking from my experience with retail real estate. Um, we'll get into a little bit about other types of triple net real estate. But with retail real estate, you get the best locations in the market and you get basically a, a bond wrapped in real estate. So you get a hard asset and you get it actually better tax benefits than municipal bonds. So what's not to like? And, you know, you can get, uh, pretty good, you know, triple net deals out there in the, the six to, you know, seven cap rate. You just have to be careful about them. Uh, but even, you know, a five and a half cap. I mean, I, I see multifamily guys buying stuff at a three cap and then they say, oh, we're going to do this value add. And, and believe me, I, I've done apartments and I've, I've, you know, done, you know, insane amount of value add that if I, I don't ever have to do it. Well, I love doing value add because it's really just creativity. But mm. at the same time, it's like it always sounds good. And then there's a lot of work involved. With the value <laughs> add part of it. Yeah. Um, so, so I, you know, I, at the end of the day, this is basically I don't want to say a risk free return, but, you know, your risk reward. It's like on the value add, how much more reward are you going to get versus this is monthly cash flow straight out of the box? Well, you know, with the compression of interest rates over the last, you know, I guess, couple of decades, right? I feel that the price increases definitely have been attributed to that compression of cap rates and along with the, the rising of rents. But where does the market go from here? Now we're pretty much near the bottom when it comes to interest rates. Um, I really can't predict that. I, I can see that we can bounce along. And, um, you know, if you look at Japan, Japan for the last 30 years, has just been bouncing along and uh, you know, at, at zero, you know, 0% interest rates and they've seen to make it work. I'm not sure if the world is going to allow the U S to do that with the dollar. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to allow them to keep passing, you know, 1.6 to $2 trillion, you know, infrastructure packages that actually don't pay for any infrastructure. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know where it's going to go. Uh, I can tell you that real estate has always, it, if it didn't necessarily hold its value, it held value better than a lot of other things. So, I mean, your only choice is, are you going to go with gold, which doesn't pay you anything? Um, are you going to go to crypto, uh, which, you know, Bitcoin is digital gold? How do you earn money off of that? I mean, there's, there's DeFi and we can get into that stuff, but, um, or, 
can you get into at least real estate with something that's going to increase in value or at least hold its value and at the same time generate wealth and, and income? Yeah. So I guess we kind of identified all the properties that you underwrite and so forth. How are you acquiring them from a, the equity standpoint? We, if you'd like me to, I can get into our latest fund, okay. which is a blockchain-based security token fund. Um, so again, when we were looking around three years ago, I, you know, as uh, you were telling me, you were hanging around with a bunch of people that were into crypto, uh, you know, four or five years ago, the same thing with me, except I didn't really understand it. And I couldn't wrap my head around it because I was an old fashioned real estate guy and I was a hard asset guy. And I could, I'm like, why wouldn't you at least tie it to the value of gold? I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, how do you tie it to a software? You know, um, so that, that was an issue for me. Uh, but as I started thinking about it, I'm like, why wouldn't you do a cryptocurrency tied to real estate? Because you could get actual crypto with cash flow. Uh, then I found out that it was illegal to do what they were doing back then, which was called ICOs, and you had to do a security token. So we went through the whole process, and um, you can do uh, coins that are you know, tied to securities. They're legal through the SEC. They're called security tokens. What we're doing is this new fund is we're taking a lot of single-tenant, triple-net leases, giving uh, an investor not only diversification of geography, in some of the highest growth markets in the United States, but we're also giving them a uh, variety of credit in a variety of different industries that we believe have proven pandemic resistant and also have proven resistant to online retail sales. So that's that's what we're putting together. We're doing this by raising money uh, through a security token. It's just exactly like a normal syndication. So if somebody was investing in a private real estate uh, limited partnership, it would be exactly the same. The great thing about security tokens is the investor gets extra benefits. The first benefit that they get is they get the benefit of tradability. So we're doing a normal 506C offering and it's available to accredited investors. And after three months, uh, you can trade our shares or your shares in, your, uh, in, in our investment, accredited to accredited. After one year lockup period, you could trade your shares or a portion of your shares or all of your shares um, to accredited and non-accredited investors. So it's really a revolutionary thing that's been approved by the SEC. Uh, it opens up a whole lot of new things. Uh, the other thing is, is that you can choose to get paid either in US dollars and you'll get an ACH payment monthly directly into your bank account, uh, or you could choose to get paid in a US dollar stable coin or you could choose to get paid in Ethereum. If you choose to get paid in the US dollar stablecoin, uh, your money goes directly into your wallet. So you have complete control over your money versus your money going into the bank. And the really cool thing is, is that we put together a partnership with BlockFi so that if you want to, you could go and do uh, take your monthly distributions put them into a BlockFi account and earn, especially if you're getting them in USDC, and earn an extra 8.6% interest on your USD stablecoin. So you're not only getting your monthly distributions from your real estate, and you're not only getting a great return, which is a super stable return from your real estate, but you can also supercharge your return. And there's, there's just a bunch of other benefits to investors that we really like, and we believe that the rest of the market at some point in the near future, everybody's, most investors are going to say, I really want to be involved with 
this type of uh, limited partnership, this type of private real estate versus the type of private real estate that we used to do and everybody does, which is tie your money up for five years, tie your money up for seven years, and you're at the mercy of you know, whatever the, the general partner is doing. And so I guess, who is the admin that facilitates the uh, token offering and custody of it for the investors? We have partnered with a company called Securitize. So if you go and look at real estate tokenization, if you go and look at security token issuances, there's um, a lot of companies out there, you know, it'll, it'll just fill up the whole, you know, first page of Google search. What you need to do, and we've been trying to educate uh, sponsors and other people uh, that are interested in, in doing security token offerings is, is that there's a few of uh, the security token tokenization platforms that can legally do it. So you can, uh, you and me could go out right now if we knew how to do the code and issue a security token. It just wouldn't be tradable in the United States because the you need what's called a uh, transfer agent um, and you need you know various securities laws and things like that. So we went with Securitize, which is a full service platform. They're not only a transfer agent, but they also have a thing that's called an ATS, which is an automatic trading system. So it's like a matchmaking service for uh, if you wanna sell some of your shares or you wanna buy some shares, you would put that up in the, the ATS and somebody else raises their hand and says, yes, I'll, I'll sell my shares or I'll, I'll, um, I'll buy those shares from you. And then the other thing is, is that uh, Securitize is plugged into a number of different worldwide security token exchanges. So on your investor dashboard, once it becomes available and listed for trading, you can just pick one of those, you know, security token exchanges to list your shares or to buy more shares of, you know, this. So that's why we really like Securitize. There's some other excellent platforms out there in the United States that are also doing, you know, some of this. And that's why what we decided to do was, uh, we really need to educate um, real estate investors and also real estate sponsors on the benefits of blockchain real estate security tokens. So we're putting together the Blockchain Real Estate Summit in Austin, Texas in September. Uh, so we're going to bring together a lot of these players like the security token platforms, um, some of the ATSs. We're going to bring together broker dealers. Uh, we're going to have some people that uh, like direct IRA that are out there doing not only crypto. Uh, crypto custody for IRAs, but they're also now uh, working. We, we hook them up with Securitize that they're um, putting together a solution to, to custody security tokens for IRAs. So the, it's just a, a really exciting time. I can't tell you how, you know, th this has just been a great two years. Um, I feel a lot of optimism because this is the new financial system. And you know, you can just see it at the start and people are going to control their money. That's the, the big thing. I, I try to avoid using the word cryptocurrency because it's like <laughs> it is cryptocurrency, but, you know, you, you actually control your money versus your money sitting someplace else. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead, Joe. I mean, I like digital assets or something along those yeah. lines, right? Because it comes in all shapes, sizes, forms, whatever. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, yeah. So I agree there. What? So if I... You know, ML, I initially subscribe in as LP, I'll get tokens in return for my equity, and I want to be that seller after three months to another credit investor. How does that next uh, buyer come in? How do they kind of underwrite that deal or get an understanding of where that project is financially at that time? Well, we, we do um, net asset value calculations quarterly. Um, so they're not only going to know what the net asset value of the properties are, but they're also going to know, you know, what the historical returns are and um, what the portfolio is composed of. 
So they're getting a preferred return plus, you know, extra return. They're just going to value it based on, you know, as they would anything else. I mean, if you're underwriting, you know, a multifamily investment and you want to invest in it, or if you're underwriting, uh, let's say me and you decided to, to buy a Walgreens together or a CVS together, um, you know, we know that we're going to get X return. We know that we're going to get X tax benefits where you know that we're going to get all the rest of this. And by the way, this is a K-1. So uh, you get all the benefits of the depreciation and, and all the rest of that too. So that, that's what the investor is going to evaluate. It's like, do I like the stream of cash flow? Do I like what, you know, the underlying assets are? And do I like, you know, the, um, the, the tax benefits and everything else I'm getting? We've gone through some of the benefits of the limited partners. How about on the other side of the general partner? You know, what are the benefits of doing a tokenized fund for the general partners? We believe uh, there's going to be a wider market. So we, we look at it like it's, it's crowdfunding on steroids. Um, we also, the original vision was not only just the U.S. market, but a worldwide investor market. And, you know, hopefully we're, we're still going to get there. One of the issues with the United States is, is that it treats non-U.S. investors in real estate differently than U.S. investors. So we've had to do two separate tokens um, to get non-U.S. investors. But we just believe that it's going to make it much easier for investors to get in and out of private real estate. And so instead of I, you know, I love um, that the stock market and the bond market guys, you know, uh, lump, you know, real estate in as an alternative asset when real estate is by far and away the world's largest asset. You know, it's 270 to 280 trillion dollars. It just dwarfs every other, you know, uh, asset category out there. It's also the best asset in terms of, uh, you know, tax benefits. And it's you know, like the, the world's most proven asset class in terms of generating and, and securing wealth. So we, we just believe that uh, if you can get more people into this is going to get more people into it. And we also believe that tokenization, it's, it's going to make it easier to accept, you know, um, smaller investments. So instead of like saying, and it's easier right now to say, it, let's do a hundred thousand dollar investment. And some people might want to do that, but with the tokenization in, in the way that the smart contracts and everything automates uh, a lot of the stuff, it's going to be much easier to take, you know, a $500, maybe a thousand dollar investment from somebody, you know, and that's also going to, you know, open up the uh, wealth generation benefits to people that, you know, potentially couldn't get into it before. Is there any, uh, you know, if an LP wants to sell their token after the time frame that in which they're allowed, uh, from a liquidity standpoint, if there's maybe no buyers available or currently, do they just post it for sale when a buyer comes by, or is there any buyback agreement from the general partners, or you know, how does that, what's that process? There is, like? the, there is no buyback agreement from the general partners, uh, and we can see that there might not be the most liquidity. So we don't see that it's going to have the liquidity of, of a REIT, you know, yeah. and some of the, the, you know, large publicly traded REITs. But we also see with that that it's also not going to have the volatility either because the volatility comes with, you know, the, the massive trading. Uh, but we do see that there will be liquidity options. Uh, the other thing is, and we're still working it out, but there's, you know, companies out there, you know, BlockFi hasn't done it yet, but we're, we're working with them and they're, you know, instead of selling your shares to get liquidity, maybe you might, you know, leverage your shares by 50%, which right now is almost impossible to do in a private real estate investment. But, you know, there's all kinds of new opportunities. And I don't even know what's, you know, because there's just so much stuff changing. You know, every, every month I hear like all kinds of, you know, and they call it DeFi, which is centralized, you know, 
decentralized finance, but it's at some point it's just going to be finance. There's just like yeah. there's just all kinds of options for you to do what you want with your money. Um, the other thing is like if you control your money, you can just you know you don't have to stay here in the United States. You could you know go down to well I was going to say Puerto Rico, but it's part of the United States, so I apologize. <laughs> yeah. But but you know you could go hang out in Belize, or you could go hang out in Costa Rica, or you could go if you want you know like hang out in uh, Budapest and um you know live over there and you've got access to your money you know worldwide versus i've got to like try and figure out how to get my money you know from this bank to this bank and all the rest of it so do you see a lot of the i guess you know there's a lot of existing crowdfunding companies out there that are you know funding for real estate deals do you see a lot of them adopting uh the tokenization into their models or how do you see this evolving i see some of them i i've uh been contacted by um three different high powered investors that were early investors in some of the largest, you know, crowd real estate crowdfunding platforms. And they know that this is coming down the road. They're just trying to figure out how to like, you know, number one, how they can get involved with it. And number two, what's it going to do to their existing investments? Um, you know, so it, I, I, there, there, those people are thinking about it. They're looking into it. And I think at some point they're going to see that, you know, it's worth it. it. It really depends on what their model is. Some of them are like just GPs and will provide the crowdfunding opportunities uh, as a GP uh, and you come on as an LP. And then some of them are, are doing, you know, private REITs. And then some of them are, are doing genuine crowdfunding where you just listed on their platform. If they do do it again, in order to facilitate trading, they're going to have to figure out how to either own a, a registered transfer agent or get licenses as a registered transfer agent. I think some of them are, um, or else how they, um, you know, partner with somebody that is a registered transfer agent or, uh, and also putting together their own ATS and stuff like that. So that they, they would know better, you know, about the legal part of it than I do. Um, I have, you know, this mile wide, you know, knowledge of things and, you know, not a whole lot of depth in the, the individual uh, legal parts. Uh, I think in the crypto space, not everyone has a full in-depth uh, legal <laughs> legal thing yet. I think it always is changing and there's different opinions amongst different lawyers. But, I, you know, as you know, everyone's kind of seeking more information and they obviously want to see other people in real person. I know you mentioned something about a uh, conference coming up here. Can you kind of just yes. re reiterate what, you know, where that is and kind of who's going to be there speaking and what topics? Uh, we're putting together the, uh, the speakers now, but it's going to be, it's the Blockchain Real Estate Summit. It's in Austin, Texas on September 9th and 10th. Uh, there's a cocktail party on the 9th and then it's a full day conference on the 10th. And so it's a nice Friday. And so after that, you can go spend the weekend in beautiful Austin. Uh, it's going to be at the AT&T Center which is on the actual campus of the University of Texas at Austin. So it's just a phenomenal location. And we are firming up uh, a number of speakers that will be addressing, you know, some of the things, but we're going to go over, you know, legal accounting, which is kind of the boring stuff. We're going to go into, you know, what, how uh, investors should evaluate, you know, security tokens and stuff. So we're going to bring in, you know, people that are on the investor side that actually are investing in some of the stuff. Uh, we're going to have a capital raisers uh, panel, you know, with, uh, you know, how people can start raising capital with this and, you know, some of the things. We're also going to have, you know, uh, tokenization platforms there. Uh, we're also working with a blockchain uh, to 
go and explain, you know, how their blockchain is best for, and that blockchain is Algorand. So uh, we're probably going to have somebody, uh, you know, from Algorand speaking as to how Algorand uh, is fantastic for financial assets um, because it's a widely distributed proof of stake network and it does transactions a lot faster than if you were doing something on the Bitcoin network. And uh, it's a lot less expensive and faster than Ethereum, which we were originally looking at, you know, launching up. So from, uh, for anybody who's interested in real estate, whether LPs, GPs, uh, but ultimately want to know what digitization of the future of real estate is, they should be here, right? Yes, yes. And we also have uh, probably every, at least once a month, but every two weeks, uh, we try to hit every two weeks, the Chicago Blockchain Real Estate Collective Meetup. And we've had some fantastic speakers in there. Just last, uh, was it last week or two weeks ago, we had a gentleman in from Vesta Equity and um, they're they're, uh, tokenizing the equity in people's houses. So instead of getting a uh, what are those loans called where you get uh, the, the loan on top of your house? E-lock, you the e Yeah, right? yeah. So instead of doing that, they're um, connecting investors with uh, homeowners that to tokenize the equity in the house. Uh, really cool concept. We've had other people. Uh, the upcoming one that we've got in next week is um, Oasis Pro Markets. They're an actual ATS. They've been fully licensed by the uh, SEC. So it's gonna they're gonna kind of describe how you know assets will be traded and how they're gonna provide liquidity to some of these private market assets. Uh, we've had everything from our securities attorney on there. We've had uh, Jamie Finn from Securitize. We've had another guy um, out of Cincinnati that's also doing tokenization services, uh, Mohsen Masood, and uh, his platform is called Accrue. We've had guys that are um, doing timeshare with luxury homes and tokenizing the, the timeshare. So there's just so many innovative products and some of them are going to stick and some of them aren't, but there's just an incredible amount, uh, you know, just uh, unbelievable, like, wow. You know, and it, I just spoke with some guys out of San Francisco. Uh, they, uh, their uncle connected me because I'm friends with their uncle and uh, they're um, looking at tokenizing the equity in houses too, as NFTs. So, you know, it's just, it's abundance of, abundance of opportunity, right? Yeah. And, and like I said, there, this is the time where I look at it like the dot-com, you know, boom and then bust in, you know, the late 1990s and into 2000. There's just so many like really great concepts. And it's at the beginning of it, a lot of them are just going to collapse. Uh, but there's going to be some genuine winners out there that are going to change everybody's lives. I appreciate that and sharing all that information today. Our, our final question we always ask as we wrap up is, what is the biggest thing you've implemented in your life has increased your net worth? Owning real estate. That's good. Hey, that's where millions of people made millions off of real estate. So keep it simple, stupid, buy real estate, be no, patient. No, I, right? it, it's you know, probably the only thing I know, but uh, you know, every time I've played around, like uh, you know, my brother, I keep telling him, it's like, I've made you nothing but money in real estate and every stock you know, pick you've ever given me has been a loser. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm sticking with real estate because it's what I know. I, and I, I will, in the future, I, I think that uh, everybody should buy uh, some Bitcoin uh, because I think that... It, in terms of advice moving forward, um, just it, get, you know, one to 5% of your net worth into Bitcoin and uh, just don't look at it. Just let it go. It's, it's like digital gold. No, I appreciate that. And how would you like any of the listeners to get a hold of you? 
I would like them to go to our website, which is libertyfund.io. It has a lot of information on, you know, blockchain real estate. It has a ton of educational information on net lease properties. So we're all about education. And I just love it when people learn new things and, you know, learn things that are going to change their lives or make their lives easier, better, you know, provide more passive income. So go to libertyfund.io. They can contact me at hello at libertyfund.io. Uh, we also, I, I have a, a net lease podcast. Uh, it's uh, www.triplenet.re. So it's the nothing but net show. So if you're interested in learning more about net lease properties, it's strictly about net lease properties. So if, if that's not your thing, but we try to bring in, you know, some of the best guests and some of the, we, we've got people because I, I know these people personally, I've known some of them for, you know, more than 35 years. Uh, you know, one of our most recent guests who was also a board member on, on libertyfund.io. But Alex DiMaturco, this guy has been, you know, in real estate at the top of his game. He's developed triple net properties all the way from Alaska down to Puerto Rico. And I think he's developed in like 48 states. Okay. So that's the type of, you know, people, we, if you're looking to get, you know, deep into the weeds with triple net properties. And uh, I, I think that's about it. So, and they can also go to our website and get our blockchain real estate report. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. I really appreciate everything. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a rating and review. See you in our next episode. Thanks for listening to The Joe Roberts Show. Take these tips and insights that you can use to help grow your own personal wealth and share them with a friend that could also benefit. Don't miss a single episode or updates. Subscribe to our email list at joerobert.com. And as always, keep pushing yourself towards a more impactful life. The Joe Roberts Show.